Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast, brought to you by Flowpath. I'm your host, Griffin Hamilton. This is the show where I interview industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights into modern day facilities management. From hospitality to commercial real estate and everything in between, we'll learn what it really takes to succeed as a facilities manager. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Today, I am pleased to have Captain Tom McElmore join me. Captain Tom, how are you doing? Doing great. How are you? Uh, you know, after we figured out the technical difficulties here, uh, I'm doing all right. <laughs> Hopefully, we can keep from having more of those, but let's see how that goes. You know what? That's just uh, the name of the game, right? And uh, I guess good with facilities management, you got to be able to think on your feet and just uh, roll with it, right? So... Here we are. Um, but why don't you uh, tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what it is you uh, you do? So, uh, Captain Tom McLemore, I've been in the Navy for about 25 years now. Uh, I'm a Civil Engineer Corps officer. Uh, we do uh, construction management, uh, expeditionary with the CBs, uh, and facilities management. Uh, right now, I'm the Public Works Officer at Naval Support Activity Annapolis, so primarily supporting the United States Naval Academy. Um, a little bit of an anomaly in my career versus normal careers. This is my fourth time being a public works officer. So uh, normally civil engineer corps officers will get one, maybe two public works officer tours. This is my fourth. Uh, I would definitely say that I enjoy being at the field level uh, and executing projects and, and, and working on the base a lot more than I, I'd say maybe staff jobs. So uh, for my career, it's something that I've looked forward to doing and kind of pushed in my career path. So that's, uh, it's been beneficial to me and it's something I love doing. Yeah. And so just anything stand out that made you, you know, now your fourth go around here in the public works as opposed to just a one or two, once or twice stop? Um, well, I'd say at least for stop number four, uh, it was the chance to do public works at the Naval Academy. I'm a Naval Academy graduate myself, uh, and having the opportunity to come back to Annapolis and support the institution that I spent four years at uh, and then started my career at, uh, it's, it's been very beneficial and, and very rewarding for me. Yeah, full circle, to, to say the least. That's, that's really cool and obviously a really unique opportunity there. And um, you know, I guess going and going way back, um, your first go around in, in Annapolis, um, what, what steps happened or what exactly happened that got you into facilities management or piqued your interest in going down this career path? Um, well, it's interesting that you asked that in, in order to graduate from the academy and get in the civil engineer corps, you kind of have to be broken. Uh, they, they call it not physically qualified in order to go into a, uh, uh, unrestricted or restricted line uh, ability. So I it was my plebe summer, which is the first summer that you're uh, you're here. You go through kind of like a boot camp, uh, a little bit six week indoctrination. Uh, I was on the rifle range, and uh, I had a piece of brass that flew up from the uh, either my weapon or one of the ones beside me. Came down, landed in, and stuck right behind my ear. And, you know, it was hot and it started burning the back of my ear. So I went and, and took my hand and, and 
you know, kind of knocked it off. And when I did that, I knocked the earplug out and that ended up causing, and the guy next to me got off a couple shots that ruptured a tube in my ear uh, and caused vertigo that I've had uh, some issues with uh, over time. And it's caused some other problems there, but it, uh, you know, it was not bad enough. Uh, you know, they were able at least to get it to a point where it wasn't bad enough to where they kicked me out of the Navy. But it was bad enough to where they didn't want me to go on ships, aircraft, or things like that. So, wow, that's how I got in the Civil Engineer Corps. Uh, my roommate's dad was a Civil Engineer Corps officer, so my roommate was like, "Hey, with these these issues, you should look at being a, a CB." And I was like, "What's that?" Uh, and then I started learning more about it. I was already an engineer, so it didn't I didn't have to change too much of what I was doing. Um, and then I I did everything at that point uh, to to work towards being a Civil Engineer Corps officer. That's incredible. And, you know, obviously terrible luck with, with that happening and just um, what are the chances of that happening? And then, you know, what do you do from there? You actually make a career out of it by, you know, adjusting really quickly. And, you know, you're already in, like you mentioned, the engineering path and then taking it from there. And like you mentioned, you made a whole career out of that. Um, yeah. And, you know, and whoever, every job that has been fun. So it's been, it's been great. It's uh you know, a great opportunity. Um, you know, and I've, uh, I, I have fun at, at work every single day and, and part of it's, uh, you know, doesn't matter if it's the construction side, the facilities management side, the, the expeditionary side, uh, you know, and a lot of it has to do with the people that I work with. Uh, but, but every, every job that I've had has been wonderful. Yeah. And, and that's, that's something where you can't put a price tag on that, where you are one in the very few that have that luxury of waking up and just enjoying and having fun at work. And I think that's been something that a lot of the people that have come on the show, they share that mentality where, you know, it's something new every day. You're not just, you know, clocking in nine to five and doing the exact same thing over and over again. It's something new. And, um, you know, if you embrace that change and embrace the challenges that come with facilities management, I mean, it is certainly a career path that is uh, unique and you could make the most out of it. Yeah. Um, so we've had a couple people on that kind of reverse where they went from being in the military into the civilian world and transitioned into facilities management after the fact. And you're currently heading facilities over in Annapolis. So I was really interested to talk to you and kind of learn more about just what differences um, there are really between the civilian life and then day in and day out of managing the facilities in Annapolis. Um, and what are some of the challenges that go along with uh, what I would imagine being kind of resource constrained um, objectives that you have to, to hit? Yeah. So I, I, I have the benefit of being on the military side and don't have the benefit of the, the civilian side yet. So I'll give it to you, at least from the, the military perspective. Uh, and when we start talking about resource constraints, uh, that's that's kind of where we've been in for you know, at least the last 10 years, maybe before that we, uh, you know, there was this time of sequestration. We had thought that we were in a resource constrained environment, but I think we saw new, new levels of that. Um, but definitely when you look at funding uh, for the, you know, where SEALs are and the submarine programs and the aviation programs, um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, what they talk about in the movie Moneyball. Uh, where we're like the Oakland A's, there's like the New York Yankees, which are like the Seals, and then you've got all these other teams, you know, 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. <laughs> um, 
So we're, we're kind of at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to uh, you know, the, the funding. And part of that, when you're, when you're dealing in a resource-constrained environment, uh, you really have to work with your, your customers or your tenants and let them know, hey, this, you got to set the expectation of here's where we're at. Uh, there's been base CEOs that I've worked with that didn't really understand what the level of funding is that we had and just said, oh, yeah, I want you to do this and then I want you to do this. Uh, and I got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm just going to pull up the, you know, HVAC equipment. I'd pull up, uh, you know, uh, chillers, air handlers, um, uh, cooling towers, and fan cool units. Um, and just those four pieces of equipment, the recapitalization with a standard cost and, and life cycle, uh, I was able to show them, I'm like, hey, I can't afford to recapitalize just this equipment on our base with the funding that I currently have. And, you know, and then I was like, yeah, I got to do the roads. I got to do the roofs. I got to do everything else on the base. Uh, and I'm, and I don't have enough money to, with, you know, if I do the basic maintenance on everything, just to recapitalize my HVAC equipment with the money that we have, that's a shocker to a lot of people, especially people in those communities where they were the New York Yankees. And they're like, Hey, you know, my ice cream maker goes out on the submarine, you know, you know, if it's a 15 year life cycle and year, you know, 11, I've got that in the palm and it's ready to, you know, I'm getting a new ice cream maker. Um, so I don't know if that's real or not, but that's my <laughs> understanding of how that works, but it doesn't work. It's not, it's not anything like that for us. Um, so making sure that you're able to define what your priorities are. Um, and, and as one of my guys in the office says, prioritize your, your number one priorities, um, because everything for everybody seems like it's their number one, but you still have to go through and prioritize those. Um, the other thing I think is important is you got to understand what you're spending your money on. Uh, if you don't know what your inventory is, if you don't know what you're doing, uh, you know, as part of basic maintenance, uh, you don't really know where you're spending your money. So how do you know if you're getting the best bang for your buck? Um, you know, I'll use an example here at the Academy, um, with things like cleaning services. Well, Hey, the kids go on spring break. Do I need to clean the bathrooms the same amount of times as they, as I do during spring break, as I do during the academic year or during like a, you know, the winter break or the summer break, you know, we don't have as many people in there. And some of the administrative buildings, like during COVID, we had people who were, teleworking a little bit more, you know, how many people are in that building? Are, you know, are you cleaning buildings based off of the number of people that are in that building or does everybody get the same number of, uh, you know, head cleanings or restroom cleanings? Um, just because it's, that's, that's what everybody else gets. So they're going to get the same thing. So you start really looking hard at, Hey, if there's only, you know, a hundred people in this building versus 300, well, maybe I need to clean the one with 300 a little bit more. And I'll back off the one on, you know, so you find ways to save money that way. Uh, and there's, you know, hey, maybe I'm not scrubbing the toilets, but I'm still emptying the trash. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you, you find those types of ways to save money. Um, and they're, they're trade-offs that you can get too. And, and hey, if I save the money, what am I going to spend that money on now? Right. Uh, and then you find ways to buy things back for people that are really the things that they're complaining about that are saying that they really need. Um, 
some of it too is if you got a uh, you, you start looking at your workforce. Um, if you've got an in-house workforce and you're fiscally constrained, sometimes you've got to look at how much overtime some of the guys are are, are doing. Um, you know, what are the people working on that you you know? Is it something that's important that's one of those priorities, or is it something else that's not important? Uh, and focusing in on those efforts. Um, even contracting, if you look at the contracting piece of it, um, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot more savings when you compete things than with, when you, uh, you know, sole source or, or, or sometimes even going with the lowest bidder. Uh, we're finding, hey, maybe that's not the best way to do things because if you go with the lowest bidder and don't have some kind of trade-offs there, uh, you may be getting the lowest bidder from a perspective of, hey, we're not necessarily the best value. Right. Um, Just because it's, not the, it's going to be the cheapest doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the least long, expensive. <laughs> right. The long term, there, there could be long term impacts from that. And, uh, you know, the other thing, you know, we've seen, uh, especially when I had my own in-house workforce is sometimes your suppliers can be, you know, somebody that can hurt you um, or the, the, the guys who are buying all your materials for you. If, if, if you need to replace a chiller uh, and you spec everything out for them and then they come back and they're like, hey, I got the best news ever for you. I saved you $25,000 on this chiller because I found this other one for you. And then, they, then you get it and then you, you know, you've got a chiller that's down and you need to replace it and you find out, okay, hey, now I got to order all this extra piping because the configuration that, that the chiller is or the chiller has that they bought for you is messed up. You know, the maintenance door may be on the side that's facing the wall now and now you've got to, you know, reconfigure all of that and you end up spending, you know, more money than what you saved and trying to get, get the thing hooked up. Plus you lose all the time uh, and effort in trying to in make that happen. So um, really making sure that the, the, the buyers who are, are getting your materials for you uh, know what they're doing and are on the same page as you uh, and that that communication is there is key. Because uh, sometimes, you know, it may not cost you money, but it's definitely costing, you, costing the capital and the relationships that you have with the customers. Uh, and providing them the things that they need to meet their mission. Uh, because that, that's at the end of the day, facilities management isn't about us. It's about the things, the, the people we support. And if we're doing our job right, we should be kind of in the, the background where nobody really notices us. And, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think we, we might have gotten one, but I don't think we get many calls where people call us up and they're like, hey, my toilet flushed today. Great. <laughs> you know, it's not something that it's not something that happens. It's it's normally we get the uh, the angry calls like, you know, hey, this doesn't work or this doesn't work. What are you doing to fix it? How come you're not over here already? Mm -hmm. You know what? You know, why is it going to take this long? And and sometimes it, it, it does take a little bit longer. And you know, there's a little probably a little bit more red tape on the government side uh, with the, the contracting rules that we have. Uh, and we can we can jump through hoops when we need to, um, but it, it's definitely not easy. And there are definitely uh, some challenges and, and things that we have to go through that I would say on the civilian side that you don't have to go through. Uh, and many of those are to make sure that we give everybody an equitable, equitable shot 
Uh, and at the same time, we want to make sure that when we do spend money, that we're going to get what we pay for. Yeah. Um, so I, I, all of that makes sense. And it's something that I'm, I'm very used to at this point in the game. It's just I'm, I'm kind of curious as I get uh, kind of closer to the end of my career in the Navy, uh, how that, that differs a little bit on the, uh, the outside as well. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I think one of the main themes, what you just mentioned was, <clears throat> was communication from the get go. I think there's a lot of, it's oftentimes leadership in the organization has this expectation that is just unrealistic. And there's this large gap between reality and the facilities team knows that reality versus the expectations of leadership and it falls on the facilities team to, to bridge that gap and saying, hey, we don't have the budget, as you mentioned, outlining, here's what we need to do, here's our budget, and there's just no way we could meet all of your expectations. Uh, and I think that translates quite well to just about every industry is that communication and holding everyone accountable and just making sure that you're doing what you can in a resourceful manner, but also communicating with other stakeholders there throughout the entirety of the process. Oh, yeah. And, and I think the big piece there is being realistic. Um, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm one of those that will help you find a way to yes. I don't like to say no, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll caveat it by saying, hey, we can do this or we can do this. Uh, and most of the time when leadership comes in and says, I want you to do uh, X, Y or Z, you get a good idea of where they're going with it. It's just whether or not you can provide something that comes close to meeting their need if you can't provide the exact thing that they want. Um, and, and part of it's just trying to get that understanding of, okay, whatever we have now isn't working. Uh, what can we do and what's the timeline? And then just being realistic with it uh, with regards to laying out that timeline and what we can accomplish. Uh, you know, some people go conservative and then they, you know, uh, you know, set, set a, uh, that conservative uh, goal and then they, they meet it. And some people will set uh, an over-aggressive goal and then, you know, fail to meet it. I kind of give a range, you know. Uh, I, I try not to talk in absolutes because it's very difficult with everything from the contracting process to uh, supply chain management. There, there's a, a huge number of things that can go wrong. And if you can just talk about things in ranges rather than exact dates, uh, I think you tend to do uh, a lot better in that. Yeah, and you bring up just a couple of factors that go into timing there, but uh, to your point, nothing, and there's a lot that's out of our control on facilities. You mentioned supply chain and vendor relationships and their availability, and there's things that you don't necessarily have control over that have an impact. And you, know, you can't skip steps You know, C, D, and E um, you know, to get to the final stage, you know, there are all these factors, outside factors that play an impact on it. And I think to your point, just communicating and setting expectations from the get-go is, uh, is vital. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm looking at, at some other things that we've done, uh, you know, and part of it is, you know, how much risk you're willing to take. And I think the more constrained the environment is, the more risk you're already taking. Um, but then part of it is how how good is your planning? Um, you know, we've all seen the story of the, the newly paved road that's going back in and they're digging it up because they forgot to put some utility across it. 
uh, and then you, you start scratching your head like who, who was doing that um, but you know there's there's a lot of stories like that we've got uh, a lot of historical buildings on naval naval bases uh, and I've seen more than my share of things like air handlers where you have to take the roof off in order to get the equipment uh, out and in um, but nest, when the air handler is ready to be replaced, the roof may not be ready to be replaced. So, you know, how do you time those things together in order to uh, get the best bang for your buck so that the, the roof needs replacement at the same time that the air handler does? And, you know, we've been doing things like air handler refurbishments and things like that to help buy a little bit more time in on, uh, you know, the, the, the on air handlers that may be you know, well past their service life, but if you can extend those out a little bit uh, further, get more years out of them, then you can focus your dollars uh, elsewhere until you can get the money uh, to actually go and replace those and the roof at the same time. So some of it's that creativity, some of it's the, the planning piece of it, uh, and just knowing how to, to match those things together uh, to be able to come up with solutions that work within the budget. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, those are all great bits of advice that you know, I think, especially nowadays, everyone at facilities, both on your side of things, as well as the civilian side, we're all very tight on budget. And that's always something that you've got to be smart and creative to make the most out of the resources you do have, uh, because complaining about it won't you know, give you a budget overnight. It won't add head overnight, right? So uh, you got to be yeah. creative and uh, think on your feet on how to just be resourceful. So. Um, love all, all the information you've given today. And Tom, I, I got one last question for you. I ask everybody and that's who or what has had the biggest impact on you and your career? Um, outside of a stray I, bullet, I'll, I'll say that outside of the stray bullet yeah. on the ear. <laughs> and I'll go back to my mom. Um, you know, my mom was a wastewater engineer. Uh, and she was an engineer back in the 1970s when she was probably one of the few females that was in the engineering industry. Um, and I remember, you know, running around the house when I was a little kid, when my mom was studying for the PE exam and my dad would, would, you know, if we got close to where she was studying, my dad would, would give us that look like I'm going to, I'm going to whoop you if you, if you take another step or say something loud. Um, but there was a lot of conversations where, you know, I'd have, uh, you know, listen to my mom talk about work, um, you know, especially after I got into the Navy, uh, just having more conversations about, Hey, how does this work? Or how does that work? Or some of it's just the relationships you build with people. Um, and I, you know, over time I found that I'm probably more and more like my mom than, uh, uh, than I thought I was definitely, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, but if you're asking me who my biggest influence is, I, I without a doubt, I'd, I'd say my mom. That's great. Um, you know, she's, she's, she definitely had a great career uh, working with the Hampton Roads Sanitation District down in, uh, in the uh, Hampton Roads, Virginia Beach, Norfolk area. Uh, and just somebody that if I had to say, I'm, I've looked up to my whole life, uh, you know, whether it be... Uh, you know, as an engineer or just as a person, uh, she would definitely meet the mark there. Love that. Well, uh, Tom, again, certainly appreciate you taking the time to come on. Uh, thank you for the insight. Thank you for your service. And 
Uh, certainly looking forward to staying in touch. All right. Thanks, Griffin. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and follow us on LinkedIn for more facilities management content.